Hopefully. Dave, you monitoring it as usual. <clears throat> Dave, unmute yourself. Okay, we are now live, guys, I think, on Facebook. So <clears throat> let's just double check that. Not got anything as yet. I've got it. The ultrasound site is live now. Fab, okay. Yeah. Oh, it says it now on top of the page as well. Yeah. Great. So just uh, even everybody, if anybody's uh, joined us, there's a few people I think already there. So um, just um, wait a few minutes just while we're... Um... getting started just wait for a few more people to join us if you give us a few thumbs up and things that, so we know that it's working okay that would be good as we're not experts <laughs> by any means I won't say this is my fifth attempt this evening <laughs> it is first week was three attempts last week was two attempts and this week was five. Oh well Right, we're getting a good few, getting a good few people um, joining now. Hopefully, people can put a few thumbs up and things and let us know that we they've got us okay. Yeah, we're getting a few likes. Okay, so um, this evening, guys, so, so welcome again to, to to join us for um, week three of our enthusiastic late night ultrasound webinars. Um, it's the usual crew of myself, uh, Dave and Rob, uh, and we're delighted tonight to have uh, Douglas Ogg from Orca Medical join us uh, as well. Um, we've been working with Doug um, now for, well, probably a year, two years, I guess, Doug, probably. Probably seems like longer for you. Um, <laughs> um, he's, he's become a great friend and, and it's, we've had a fantastic collaborative relationship with, with Orca around the educational courses that we run. Um, Doug is an absolute fountain of knowledge when it comes to um, ultrasound machines, systems. He's worked in the industry for many, many years. And so we're very, very lucky to have um, him with us tonight on this webinar. So, so thank you um, very much, Doug, for giving up your Thursday night um, to, to, to join us on this discussion tonight. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so just to start off with, um, we're going to try and just sort of cover, I think, a few of the basic things. And we had a discussion this evening briefly before we came live just about um, what is a good starting point for this discussion. And, and, and one of the things I, I felt, uh, I think some of the other guys felt, was that it was quite useful just to understand what are the different types of ultrasound machines out there. Uh, when I started thinking about ultrasound and was involved in, in, in learning ultrasound, I had no idea um, what different types of machines out there are. And I think some of the times people can uh, imagine that uh, a, a, an ultrasound machine is just an ultrasound machine and they're all the same, but it, it's anything but that. Uh, Doug, Doug's cat has is, is made a, a, an entrance already. Um, so um, what I want to do to start with, just to um, sort of uh, set the ball rolling, is just to um, share um, a, a few graphics of different types of ultrasound machines, I think, as a, as a, as a starting point. Um, so if I bring this up, hopefully uh, you guys will all be able to see this. So there's a number of different machines out there, and we'll go through these in more detail, uh, I'm sure. And I, I won't sort of hang about on the slides too long, because it's much better, I think, that you, you see us all discussing things tonight. Um, but you've ultimately got um, 
handheld systems, which are a massively developing area in and around ultrasounds. Uh, so handheld systems can be wired, can be wireless. Um, that's one option that's out there at the moment. Uh, I'm now going to slip on a side. There we go. Uh, there's laptop systems, so portable laptop systems. Uh, if you like, uh, the next level up, if you like, from a from a handheld system. And then there's also uh, cart systems. So if you like a, a more higher end cart system, and it's probably worth me also mentioning that within laptop systems, you've got a, a real spectrum of, of different types of laptop systems, maybe some lower end and maybe some uh, that are slightly higher end. So you've got this spectrum of ultrasound machines. Uh, I'm gonna come back out of that so that we're not sort of hanging around on PowerPoint slides too much tonight. Um, but um, I, I think it's useful just to start off with to sort of say, as a, as a starting question, how on earth does somebody decide what ultrasound machine they should choose, guys? What do you think? Drop that bombshell. <laughs> well, can I, should I go first? As the, yeah, uh, go for it, Dave. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know most. That's... What van man of, of ultrasounds? <laughs> Baker. <laughs> I would say, from a very sort of you know practical perspective. Um, obviously, the biggest thing is money. So it's going to be your budget. Um, it's going to be what you are likely to use it for. Um, if you're obviously working in private practice, how are you going to monetize it? Um, if you are working sort of more NHS space, and a lot of it, you know, maybe around the sort of practicalities of um, of the environment and the context within which you're going to use it. Um, and then obviously you need to think about sort of, you know, the image quality, image capability, which I'm not going to attempt to go into. I'll leave that to the likes of Doug. Um, but in, just in terms of what you can visualize, the, the breadth of what you scan in your daily practice and what you can realistically visualize well on the machine. And obviously the practical elements such as um, for example, um, I work between various different clinics. I need to be able to carry my ultrasound around with me. And certainly when I was learning, and I think this is a really important consideration for people, is when you're learning, you want it with you 24-7. You do not want your ultrasound machine locked away in your office that you may only spend a few hours in every week. And realistically, you're not going to sit back for hours every night practicing. You want to be able to take it home you want to be able to chase anyone who stands still long enough for you to scan them. So those, those are my key points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for, for me, I would say reliability, I think. If I kind of look back at, uh, you know, when we first started scanning, and I look back at the kind of scanners that we've been using over the years and stuff, then I think there's definitely, uh, there, there were always these, these, these uh, machines that, everyone sort of gravitated towards because they were kind of like robust, they were portable, uh, they were not too expensive, which obviously makes, makes a big, uh, is a big um, decision making, uh, maker, particularly when you, when you start out. But um, it was that sort of combination of things and word of mouth, obviously, because you speak to other people who've already used machines and then you kind of suss it out. And particularly when we started, which is like 12 years ago or so, I mean, the quality of the machines, I think, the laptop machines, I do very, very vividly remember that in an intro course, 
there were a couple of reps that brought a laptop uh, machine and and there was some it, the system crashed a few times as they were demoing it and i thought oh gosh you know this is probably something that might be a problem and i think as time has progressed it's all changed now and, and the machines have got become a lot better so maybe it's not um there's a lot more to choose from but the the choices were quite limited in the beginning so um and, and it was then costs and and it was a sort of combination and durability aspect to to that and and that meant that the the options were quite limited yeah but I think there are a lot more now so Doug, some thoughts well i think um the most relevant thing that i picked up there is is you know is the thing about access to machines because if you're working in the nhs then um, there's probably going to be a machine that you can find. The, the, the question is, um, is it an old one? You know, if you go to your UBME department uh, and, and, and in the hospital, they'll, they'll probably find you a machine, but it's probably been extremely well used. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, it, it's a hand-me-down. Um, someone's just got a new machine, so this has got a, few, a, a little bit more legs in it. And it could have been used for almost anything. So is it appropriate for MSK? For MSK, yeah. Um, then it, it, in private practice, you've got the problem, you know, if, if, if you're, or in the community, if you're working in a place that doesn't already have ultrasound equipment, old or new, that you've got access to, then um, Dave's point about cost is really, really relevant because, um, you know, how much do you have to pay to get something that's realistic and 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 worth it uh, and i you know the truth is there's an awful lot of hype at the moment about handheld ultrasound scanners mm, mm. um you know this is new technology it's really exciting it's opening out the use of ultrasound for you know the place of use of ultrasound extremely widely both within hospitals and outside you know uh, and the prices can be very very low so it, it's really attractive for you to want to buy it, is it, is it, is it worth, yeah is it worth us just thinking about you know from an msk perspective and the handheld systems as a starting point you know i'm sure a lot of individuals as you say doug are looking at themselves saying okay the price point is much better um potentially it's more it's, it's attractive the price point uh, is that something that's suitable for me to use for MSK practice? I get, you know, and, and to the other guys, what, you know, what, are the, what are the pros and cons of, of handheld uh, systems? Pros and cons? Um, well, I think, you know, the cons are obviously the quality and the, the resolution. Uh, I think uh, we, we, everyone would acknowledge that, that that's, that's uh, obviously is, is compromise and, and it means that it has a much more limited, uh, I think, uh, um, application and particularly in MSK, I can understand, of course, th there's widespread use as Doug will know a lot more about in, in other areas uh, and particularly in acute medicine and um, for vascular applications, etc. But uh, in MSK, I think that to me is, to, is, a, is, is one of the one of the barriers. Um, I, guess that, I guess that comes down to, and what we're talking about here is that um, the handle systems tend to have, am I right in saying, a, a lower frequency overall? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, um, a handheld system, the scanner, 
somewhere, you know, they, they, whatever they connect into, if it's a mobile phone or a tablet uh, or whatever else, that that's all that you, all you're using that to do is to display the image and act as a control a control surface, yeah. and all the processing has to happen on the probe. And there's a limited amount of space, and inevitably someone who's um, looking at buying a probe is going to pay what they think is relevant for a probe, then you've taken away the scanner. So they're not going to think about how much that costs. Mm -hmm. So um, you've got several challenges. One of them is uh, one of the most relevant is, is space because um, as anyone will know, um, you know, why do laptops have cooling fans in them? It's because the microprocessor inside them works quite hard and it gets hot and you've got to get rid of the heat. So yeah. things like yeah. that actually have a big impact on, on how the thing works and that's practicality. But making something for a particular yeah. price is really important because you've got to hit the customer's expectation of how much it's going to cost. And then you've got to start thinking about how suited is, what, what it's been designed to do. Now, mm -hmm. if you're working in point of care, emergency care medicine, you actually need a, a device that can do several things. Um, it needs to be able to scan uh, a heart. It's, it needs to be able to scan an abdomen. And you, you'll need a linear style probe, which is the type that you use for MSK ultrasound. You'll need that for mm -hmm. vessel access. So if a probe has been designed to fit all those three, the question is, is how well it will suit. Oh, we just lost Doug there a little bit. Designed for MSK. Yeah, I think we just lost you there a little bit, Doug. And I guess we're, we're kind of coming on to here, aren't we? We're thinking about, um, you know, having something that, that, that meets the requirement of what you're going to actually use it for in right. clinic, aren't we? And, and with MSK, obviously a lot of the structures can be very, very superficial, uh, require higher frequency, better resolution. Um, but at the same time, if you think about, and I'm thinking here maybe um, big tendons, gross changes in tendon structure, um, Achilles rupture, a quads tendon rupture, patella, you know, big tendons that have gone, um, actually sometimes maybe that, you know, the lower frequency probes are, are, are able to say, yes, it's gone or no, it hasn't gone. And so, that, that it, it, and, and so I, I think what I, I'm keen to sort of people sort of say, you know, think about how it's being utilized in your practice and what you actually need from a system. And the handhelds may have a role to play in some domains, but you need to know what, what where you work and what you need it for, ultimately. Yeah, yeah totally, yeah. Because I remember that there was like a, uh, an evening uh, session that I did some time ago, and, and I know Doug was there as well. And, and this was, this, yeah, he saved the day actually, because we didn't actually have a projector. And then, then he managed to uh, sort of pull that one out of the bag. It was great. But um, yeah, and I did a demo on a hip, and uh, we had a, a Sonon handheld. And, and, and I have to say, um, for for it was a reasonable size hip and it was actually a, a really nice image and 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 not an awful lot like less resolution i would say than like your average um like higher 
priced uh, um, machine. So in, 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 you know, portable or even... even uh, that's, a, that's a common misconception, isn't it? Because the handhelds are actually low frequency. So they're exactly. actually... Yeah. For those deeper structures, oftentimes yeah. people have this misconception that they would be only good for superficial structures. But because they're low frequency, that's actually the opposite way around, isn't it? Mm. And, and, ult and ultimately, there is much more to it as well, which I'm sure Doug is thinking, than just than just the frequency and we kind of we kind of touched on this before again before we chatted didn't we about uh maybe it's not so true with the handhelds maybe more with the laptops but i've certainly um you know i've certainly had uh systems that are identical systems with the same probe we'll deal with probes and frequencies later on maybe and the, the image quality is very very different as well so there there is more to it than just um than you know the software behind it there's more to it than just the, the frequency of the probe yeah could I say also, and, and again, I say this very much with my private practice hat on, um, but I'm aware that a lot of people, you know, if they're thinking about sort of point of care ultrasound, they might be working in a sort of private sector, or independent sector. There is a little bit, to me, there's a little bit around patient expectation as well. Like when a patient comes in to see me, even with my, even with my sort of, you know, laptop, uh, um, then, then, you know, portable machine, then oftentimes they're sort of looking around the room, oh, where's the ultrasound machine? Where's the ultrasound machine? And you're like, oh, God, I thought that was a laptop sort of thing, you know? Yeah. There is a, I've got to say, I've been absolutely 100% honest, but why wouldn't we be when we're having a conversation like this? There is a little bit of me that thinks it needs to look the part for, to fulfill patient expectations. And I think until people almost expect to see and accept these very, very small devices, there's going to be a little bit of me that will be reluctant to get one just purely on the patient expectation, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. Good point, yeah. <laughs> it's a good point. I mean, when you think about it, where, where do most people in the general public, where do they see scanners? Yeah. Uh, the most common place they'll see a scanner is in an obstetric ultrasound department. Yeah. The patients oftentimes say to me, wow, I was expecting to see the thing that I saw when I had my baby scan sort of thing. You know, God, wow, you know, things have moved on sort of thing. But yeah. there's a there's a balance, isn't there, when they go, are you sure that's proper ultrasound machine? <laughs> uh, <laughs> there so, is. Um, anyway. we've, had a, we've had a question coming, guys, um, from Masriano, who's just said, um, so what are the frequencies that bring a good image resolution for MSK ultrasound, he sort of suggested six to 16 megahertz question mark to sort of start us off. Good question. Yeah, great question. Thank you. Uh, keep, keep them coming. <laughs> Dave, what do you think? What do I think in terms hmm. of range for ultrasound? Well, I, I think the frequencies. Oh, it's like you were saying before, isn't it? There's, you know, there's the probe, but there's also the machine behind the probe. So that's yeah. something to be considered so there's you know there's only so much you're going to get out of a probe if the if what's under the bonnet's not sort of backing it up and also it depends what you are looking to scan obviously if you are going to be looking at sort of structures where you need that sort of higher frequency and you're going to benefit from that higher frequency then great because obviously the higher frequency is going to give you the better image quality to an extent but again, you know, as you say, people oftentimes overlook 
some of the you know benefits of you know having good sort of lower frequency as well so mm. i think how are you saying are we asking is that range adequate or well yeah just a general question i think is 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 what would bring around a good image resolution i mean uh, uh, it's interesting doug isn't it i mean probe ranges uh, they obviously the frequencies seem to have gone up over over time in terms of you know, it started off being 13 megahertz as the kind of the top end frequency for a linear probe. Now it's sort of creeping up. We're talking about 16, but certainly 18, and so sometimes higher. Um, but I think that, that you're right, and and we are using systems that go up to 18 megahertz, like the normal linear probe. But yeah. we also have used systems that were, you know, not necessarily in terms of their um, resolution an awful lot worse that were uh, max at 12 megahertz. And, and I think, I mean, that's sometimes a bit difficult to understand for people because if you have a, a range from let's say three to 18 or like six to 12, you, I don't know, like for, for a lay person, you would say the one with the biggest uh, uh, dynamic range um, and the highest frequency is the best probe and, and produces better quality image is is that i don't know is that is there anything in that doug because like why are some probes a very small small range and and relatively low um and and others have that huge range and and is or is that an expense is that is that a cost thing as well and stuff or is that uh, well the, the, this is about um the, the importance of matching the backing you know you have to look at a probe and a scanner as a system and it, it's how the component parts of that system will work together. So if you just take the frequency of the probe, then you're only looking at one aspect of what is important in looking at the whole image. Um, so when you move to higher frequencies and using higher frequencies, uh, what, what's the one thing that you learn about high frequency ultrasound? You taught this very early on, high frequency ultrasound attenuates. So if you're going to use high frequency ultrasound uh, to build the image, then you need to make sure that your electronics, the front end, the probe, etc., are really sensitive to that high frequency so that it can actually be used. Mm -hmm. Then you've got to think about the actual power of the, uh, of the processor, because when you are listening at high frequency, there's more information there. So you've got to have a more powerful processor to be able to utilize that high frequency and build an image out of it. Mm. So don't expect... It's like, it's like, having, a, like having a PC. Yeah, so it's like having a PC with, um, you know, high level graphics software on it or something. Yeah. You've got to have a decent enough processor to run it. You, you want to have the best graphics, get a gaming PC. Yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with you know you spend the money on the graphics card uh, on the graphics card and the drivers for the image and, and that's exactly like ultrasound you know you, you've got to match all these different components together and, and actually make them work for the desired need mm -hmm. now uh, you know if, if you're really focused at high frequency imaging then you can make a fantastic scanner but the reality is that most scanner platforms cheap ones are made for a multitude of applications. Mm. 
So, you know, whether it's a laptop or, a, a you know, a, a cart-based scanner, cart-based scanners aren't that much more expensive. You know, there are, there are lots of very cheap cart-based scanners out there that, that are similar in price to a laptop. I mean, yeah. you know, think about computers. You're, you know, how much does a desktop cost compared to a laptop for equivalent performance? I think that's another misconception, isn't it? Because the cost of an ultrasound machine isn't in the cart, is it? <laughs> so the idea that a cart-based ultrasound is fundamentally more expensive is just a misconception, isn't it? Because that's not. And let's face it: when, you, when you're designing an ultrasound scanner, you're designing it to do all sorts of things. You know, if you if you call up that um, the, the the slide you've made up, Stuart. I know those images were just downloaded. You went and did an internet search, and you, yeah, you yeah. downloaded those images off the internet. Lots of different scanners. They're all publicity shots. And look at what organ is on the front. Are there any with an MSK structure on the front? No. Yeah. Well, maybe on the left or not. Can't, can't no, that's it. a thyroid, I think. Oh, yeah, is it? Okay, sorry. There's <laughs> oh. your laptop system. Being yeah, there's a heart there. There's an abdomen. Uh, yeah. One in the middle, I can't really tell what it is. It looks as if it's got some, some elastography. They're trying to show a feature there. Um, yeah. The one in the top right-hand corner might be um, MSK, that's but it's a, it's a low-res um, capture, so you can't really tell. And the other one's a vascular. I mean... That tells you the breadth that these and uh, these things are doing. You know, every single scanner, pretty much, that you are going to be looking at is designed to scan the heart. It's designed to scan, do obstetrics and gynaecology. It's designed to do general abdominal. It's designed to do small parts, including breast ultrasound. And and where does MSK fit in all of that? How yeah. much of the investment in designing that product has actually been put into the MSK. tailoring it for MSK. Yeah. And that that's one of the reasons why, if you want decent MSK performance, for the most part, you have to look at a big, expensive scanner to get really high performance. So if you're, so if you're starting out, this is one of the questions that Stuart Kerr sort of asked us um, uh, earlier this evening as well, was um, he, said, he said, what are your thoughts on machine requirements then for novice sonographers or trainees? Because obviously there's an issue here, isn't there, about access, and and, and we're all too aware of that from an yeah. educational perspective. Is that is that to learn ultrasound? It's a tough skill to learn. You need access, but you also want something that's that's going to help you learn. And, and you, what you don't want to do is commit to something, purchase something that you just see out of panic, or I need to get something to get hands on and start scanning because you, you may purchase the wrong thing. So so. I guess what are the requirements he said uh, um, and how do these change as your skills develop? So as you become more experienced, what, how is the need for your system or what sort of system do you need? How does that change um, over time? It's a really good question that because <laughs> um, when you think about it, if you are a real, real beginner, you know nothing, then you've got to learn probe handling skills. You've actually got to learn uh, you know, a lot of it's about image optimization. How to? Yeah, don't worry even about image optimization. You just got to learn how to how it actually sits yeah. and, and what you're doing. So you know, think about cutting across a structure and cutting along the structure. You know that fundamental skill, which you do what you have to do almost automatically. Yeah. Is is to transfer from cutting across to cutting along and back without drifting. So, yeah, so now, can, that, so, that, that's a fundamental. 
and you could you could choose the worst scanner in the world and practice that. Yeah, yeah, and, and so yeah, I mean, when I think when, when I think back, you know, I certainly didn't use the the highest spec sort of Rolls Royce scanner to learn on. And in some ways, I kind of feel like that sort of helps you build or refine your probe skills and that that dexterity of what you're doing better. And so, um, you know, I it brings us back to sort of things like handheld systems and things, you know, are they a good way for somebody just to start yeah. out to get, get access, get hands on and just to start to, we're not talking about the refinement yeah. of diagnosis here. We're talking about just visualization of things, understanding a grayscale image at a basic level. Um, yeah. I, th I think they have a role there, but the problem is that you, soon run into the limitations and it becomes easier it is much easier to pattern recognize as you guys have know you you know this from the courses that you run you you look for good quality machines because you've learned that once they've once someone's actually got a, a little bit of experience about what it, what an ultrasound image is and how to hold a probe yeah. They find it easier to learn structure with something that gives a good image. Mm. And that it helps them to learn to have access to something that's got a really good image. Yeah. Just stitch, stitch the anatomy together and correct. All that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Then then once you have achieved what one might term a high degree of proficiency, you become you, you can actually use almost anything and get the value out of it yeah yeah because you have so much experience by then you know that that's that's like putting you know uh, i i don't know what would be the example uh, uh, you know a, a, a really experienced musician can get a really bad piano to make to play a good tune yeah you but if you, know, you are not really experienced yeah. you're not going to get a good tune out of a bad piano you also know what you, you know what you're looking for, don't you? You know, if you're an experienced sonographer and you use a lower spec system, you just have those built-in signs and, and appearances that you're tuned into, so you can still draw out information. Not in the, not in the same way, perhaps, as a as a really high end system, but you can still draw that information out. And you can still orientate yourself. I think that's a key thing: is you can still highlight types of structures to orientate yourself better. And the, the, I think the challenge with the handhelds for me at a very kind of beginner level is if the resolution of the image isn't as good is the ability to, to, it's, to it's, it's about calling out a tendon from a nerve from a from, you know it's about making those differences that are so critical at that stage to build the understanding the anatomy the blueprint <laughs> processing around it yeah. um that's that's the, that's the challenge that cat's back again isn't it doug yeah, she's back. She, she comes yeah. over and wants to say hello. I think there's, a, there's a balance of that versus, again, you know, just the opportunity to practice and to learn. Yeah. So I would say, you know, that if it, 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 and it's so much of it comes down to the individual person. How do you learn something? I know when I'm learning something, I just need to carry it around with me all the time and practice 24 <laughs> seven. That's what I like to do. So if I'm, you know, if I'm advising somebody, you know, that's how I like to learn something. There's no point having some like, you know, fantastic cart-based system or something at work that you only get to, you know, get your hands on for a few hours a week or whatever. Yeah. What you need to be doing is going and practicing scanning yourself and, 
you know, this, that, and the other. And so to me, you know, these hand, well, in, in the context that I would be learning it or look to learn it, I can see that they've also got advantages in other contexts within which they might be used, point of care and sort of field usage and stuff like that. But I think in that, in that ultrasound learning journey, that is where I would see it sort of coming in. So you, you lose a little bit in terms of, as you say, the sort of image quality, but you gain something in just those hours and hours and hours of practice. And that can go for the laptop-based system or sort of handheld system. And I think that's the, the, the really key thing for me. Um, yeah. Those things hold. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it's, you know, like I remember when we first learned ultrasound and we were sitting for hours on end, like trying to follow a tendon, trying to turn on it and make it look good. And, you know, those sort of skills you can do with any machine. They don't have to be great quality and, and uh, finding a vessel and, 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 you know, that kind of stuff. And it was just following a nerve. As long as you can identify, like you said, if you can differentiate those those structures, and I think in most handhelds, you still can do that at a wrist, for example, then there's a huge amount that you can get on with practice. And, yeah. and those are the skills. So to be honest, the scanners that we use, and we had these big like card-based models, I mean, I probably like looking back now in terms of image quality, probably not hugely better than some of the better hand, handheld models. And, 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 and you know, it had massive limitations, of course, but you know yeah. we we did learn on it, and we did. Right. Yeah. Well, but I think that one of the things which is difficult, particularly if you're a, a say you're a practitioner in in in, in practice, um, one of the problems is that you cannot your confidence in what you're seeing is really important. You know how you call something is important in this and you're you know you guys have loads of experience now uh, and you can you can be confident in what you're seeing because you've got this library of experience behind you mm. uh, and you're drawing on all that experience whenever you examine someone uh, oh another cat yeah, Dave, you'll get your dog out in a minute, I'm won't you? Much <laughs> cats in a minute and go mental. Stuart's going to get his kids out and we'll be a fan. Um, but for many people starting off, you know, you, you, you've got to monetize. In, in a sense, this is your income as well. You, uh, Dave's point about having to pay for something is really important here. Um, and you know, how do you how do you become confident? Uh, and I think you get for you, you are your journey to confidence is faster. And I think one of one of the things that's really important to to bear in mind in this is that it takes a long time and a lot of practice with ultrasound before you feel really proficient. And and alongside that, and it, that's probably not time to to take the conversation on to how do you justify? You know, I'm talking thing here more about poor and care people, but how, uh, clinicians. How do you justify that expense of purchasing an ultrasound machine? Mm. Um, Dave, you might be well placed in it from, from a private practice point of view. Uh, you know, how do you justify that that purchase of the, of the machine, the time of, of the investment of, of, of using it, getting that skill? Um, you know, that's 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 a challenge as well, isn't it? 
It's, it's very different. It's very difficult in private practice. I and mean, it's something that we get asked about, obviously, loads um, by other people working in private practice, uh, particularly. And that is, you know, how did you sort of almost from a sort of, you know, business, um, you know, uh, pr you know, business planning perspective, how did you sort of justify it? How did you, um, you know, work out your numbers on it sort of thing? And it's, it's very difficult, actually, because um, obviously, when you're using in private practice, um, we, I, I certainly never have, and I, and, and I know lots of physios don't actually charge any extra money, any extra tariff insurance companies won't pay you to, for an ultrasound machine. So really, you're, you're using it as an adjunct to, you know, to what you, to what you do. Um, so it doesn't actually have a direct monetary benefit. And, and, and um, obviously, you know, to begin with, um, and this is, a, you know, it's, it's, it's tough to train in private practice because the patient's coming to see you, you know, they're, they're you know, paying good money to, for your time. Um, and they don't want you practicing to use a machine on them particularly. Um, so if it's not going to add any benefit to their consultation. So really, it's a very tricky one because you're taking up their time. You know, you can also as well uh, potentially sort of slightly almost like undermine the sort of patient relation, uh, the, the patient physio relationship if you start saying, you know, I don't really know what I'm doing with this, but do you mind if I just sort of, you know, wave it over you for a few minutes because I'm learning? Very, very hard, very, very difficult. So, um, it, you know, um, I was lucky enough that I was working sort of partly in the NHS um, through, the, through the real sort of like um, learning phases. Um, and so, you know, I, did, well, I didn't have to completely learn from scratch in private practice but i know many people that have and it is very very difficult and you have to choose your patients very carefully um, you have to explain to them that you're not a qualified sonographer and you either might need to you know make their consultation a bit longer or you know or, or something because uh ultimately you know you're you're taking up their their time um and working in central london people haven't got time so yeah and what about, and you know, one of the questions we got asked about this as well was, should I purchase something or should I lease something? Uh, and I guess we could chuck into their considerations around warranties as well. Um, Doug, I don't know if you've got some thoughts around those aspects. I think for me, this is, you know, if you take purchase or lease or any of these other, anything like that, it's, it's, it's a form of, in essence, it's a form of high purchase. So you're paying for the scanner over a period of time uh, and you pay a little bit extra over that period of time to spread out the payments, just like buying a car or anything like that. Um, you know, with, with interest rates so low, then it, it often makes sense to do that because it allows, you know, particularly if you're in, um, uh, in practice, it allows you to, to break that cost down into something that appears more manageable. Um, and, that, and that's its real advantage. Mm. I think one of the things that's important here is that as you go through your journey learning, you're inevitably going to want to graduate to, to end up with a really nice machine. And the question is how you get there. Yeah. And, you know, as long as you can, 
you know, actually have decent consultation and can see a pathway of being able to get there, then that that's that to me is 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 a good. Uh, the difficulty I think is that people often think, well, I get this one machine, and I'm not going to be ever changing it. Now that's fine if you've gone right to the really really nice machine at day one, and if you can afford to do that, do it because I'm actually not, unlikely, I guess. You, but... but it's a big investment. Yeah, yeah. And what about what about um, warranty on systems? Yeah. Ah, warranties, warranties, warranties. Um, warranties, you know, basically anything sold in this country has to, is, there, there are laws around it. It has to be fit for purpose. Uh, and it has to, uh, it, it, it actually has to be fit for purpose and to last in law um, for five years. Okay. So warranties that companies offer are, are a bit different because what they're covering is against defects in manufacture very often. And often the manufacturers offer a less, a, a more limited warranty. It's it's complex. Uh, mm. That gives a lot of uh, 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 of leeway for companies to actually turn something that's actually a right into something that's an exclusive benefit from buying from me, so to speak. Mm. Um, and that that warranties yeah they're important but fundamentally electronics is pretty reliable uh electronics will either fail quite quickly or it'll start failing when it gets very old the parts are the probes yeah i was just going to ask you that question doc so i know you've, we've, we've discussed this before i was fascinated as a complete uh, novice to this area about your discussion about probes and you know the, the cost of probes and the difficulty to replace them. And yeah. would you, would, Doug, would you mind just going for a bit of probe anatomy because I find this really interesting <laughs> as well uh, when we're talking about you know uh, the number of wires that go down the uh, the number of lines that are going down the wire from the probe to the machine. I, I find I think it's really important for people to understand why that's so fragile if you run over the lead or whatever with your machine or if you damage the lead into the probe why, why that's such a problem okay i mean it, it, the, the cable is yeah. actually one of the more critical parts of the whole machine of the whole system mm. uh, because it has to carry the signal back from an echo signal very very weak um and it has to carry that signal faithfully back without attenuating it too much, without losing it uh, from the element in the probe all the way back to the connector at the end and then into the scanner, which is where the processing happens. Um, once it's digitized, that, that echo is digitized, um, then it's easy to handle because it's just numbers. But up until that point, it's analog and uh, prone to all sorts of physical effects. Uh, every single element in an array has to be connected by a wire to a connector that goes back into the machine. So what looks like a fairly simple cable from the probe is actually hundreds of tiny wires. 
And each of those wires, high frequency electricity has a tendency to leak, goes in a wire. And that's why, for example, you, you, from your aerial, the frequencies are similar to the frequency of uh, your television aerial, of the signals that come down your television aerial. And you have a great big thick coaxial cable to do that. It's called a, it, it's a coaxial cable because a coaxial cable is a design that keeps the signal inside the cable. If you don't have a coaxial cable design, then the signal will leak out and it'll disappear. So every single of these tiny cables inside the probe cable has to be a coaxial cable to stop all the signal leaking out everywhere else. Which is why it's so important to look after your cables. Correct. Yeah, I've seen people with their cables just tied around in knots. I remember Rob used to do that when we were working together. Still does. Use it as a skin <laughs> rope. I thought, when are they going to kind of bring this up again? Uh, Rob, Rob, actually, Rob actually needs a Kevlar I cable, that. I think. Do they exist? A Kevlar Rob Mars cable? I don't know. Rob Mars <laughs> system. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of shielding that goes into them. Now, the, the other thing is that people complain about the weight of cables. And a. You can feel it when you're scanning sometimes, yeah. You know, <laughs> you look a little flower, aren't you, Stuart? Yeah. Like a little flower, but but these things are also, you know, if you if you take a hockey stick probe, yeah, hockey stick probe is a short array. It's a high frequency array, but it's a short array, so it has fewer elements in it. That means yeah, that the that slide with the probes on, just in yeah, case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me get that up. Uh, I'll leave that up for a second, Doug. Well, you can talk through, through talking through probes. Hang on. Okay. Get to the probe. <laughs> Can't really see the cables there, but the cable on a hockey stick probe, because the hockey stick array is short, um, the, the, there's no scale on this, so you can't really tell that it's uh, it, it's a smaller probe. But at the, the array front of the hockey stick is about half the length of the two probes next to it. So those, those are double the width. Yeah. Now that means that you've got to have, for those two probes, for the same number of elements, you've got to have double the number of cable of, of tiny wires in the cable compared to the hockey stick. Or you've got to have fewer elements in it. And the one way of making fewer elements is to have a lower frequency probe, because for the same width of array, for lower frequency, there are fewer elements in that width. So all these little tricks come into it. And in terms of in terms of MSK probes, um, there's a couple of different linear ones there, aren't there, in the middle? And that'll be a, a, something that people encounter when they're purchasing is different ranges for linear probes. Yeah. Is it worth just touching on that, guys? And which now? Do you need more than one probe? Silence. Yeah. <laughs> I would, uh, personally, I would say it depends, you know, in, you know, what you're, you know, in what context you yeah. are working um, and, you know, what you're, you know, what you're predominantly seeing. I mean, I would say that, you know, 90% of what I see then, you know, a linear probe with a decent range on is absolutely fine. 
Um, I'd love to have a curve a linear probe for the, you know, the odd hit that I see, but I just don't see enough of it to justify it. Curve a linear probe, you know, comes in at what sort of four, five, six thousand, depending on what machine you're working on. Yeah, generally speaking, curve linear probes are a bit less expensive than a high frequency linear. Okay, so maybe a little bit under that. And again, I'd love to have a hockey stick. I see loads of hands and you know feet and do lots of injections around hands and feet. I'd love to have a hockey stick probe, but you know, again, it's just sort of justifying um, the additional outlay. You know, I've, I, I had a hockey stick for years, or I worked with, you know, we had access to a hockey stick for years, and they're so lovely for doing like hands and feet and doing injections mm. on small joints and everything. Fantastic, but um, but. Again, they don't, you know, there's, there's not much that you really, really can't do with a linear probe that you can do with a hockey stick. Yeah. It's a lot nicer and a lot more comfortable. As long as the linear probe isn't too big, because I think bulky yeah. linear probes are really difficult to use for um, small joints. Yeah, and if they've yeah. got a great big sort of blind spot at the end of the probe as well, certainly, yeah. you know, some probes, I don't think you get it so much nowadays with the modern probes, but... You know, they used to have like a real sort of dead space at the end of the probe. So if you were doing injections into sort of smaller structures or superficial structures, um, then that could be really sort of, um, um, you know, yeah. much less sort of user friendly, really. And you yeah. potentially end up taking a much longer journey. Is it, is it, is it worth good. just talking about, um, you, you talked about different probes there and hockey sticks and linear probes, different types of linear probes. Um, it's worth just coming on to talk about injections, and obviously that's another consideration when yeah. clinicians who are yeah, I was, that's true. Yeah, I was just going to mention, as Dave was saying, um, um, or uh, as you guys were talking about the differences in the use of like um, hockey stick, because I I would say that for most applications, even the hand, I'm actually quite happy with a linear array with lots of standoff and gel, and I think that actually is quite nice because you can see. Like the whole landscape of things, but um, I think if you start injecting, let's say, a DIP finger joint or something, which is quite small, then I think, honestly, without the hockey stick, it's very, it's actually very difficult. I think the hockey stick makes it a hell of a lot easier. The small run up, and I'm sure you you've used uh, Stu in radiology. Um, there's definitely a huge benefit to using them, uh, aspirating small cysts and... Yeah, no, ab absolutely, absolutely. And um, obviously you, you, you get needle vis a lot quicker because the, the, the edge of the probe as well sometimes is, yeah. is not as broad. Um, we've had a question from Nav, um, who's a podiatrist. Thanks for, for joining us, Nav. Um, and thanks for sending a question in. So. He's just said, would you say a linear probe would suffice for podiatric use? Uh, and if so, what frequency range? And I guess we've kind of touched on this. And I guess one thing I always say to podiatrists is, is think about the region that you're scanning for one. Uh, and, and the key thing with that is you're lucky in, in some ways, because a lot of the stuff that you're scanning is very, very superficial. Uh, it's a fantastic area to look at with ultrasound, actually, in terms of anatomy and, and getting really good resolution images. So you can actually use... Uh, a, almost as, as high as you can go with a linear probe, I would say, in terms of frequency, you, you can really be pushing your frequency quite high. The only thing less uh, is uh, I think you, oh, have oh, to be, you, you have to be conscious that that, that should drive podiatrists towards uh, the higher performance 
portables because they will get more out of the higher performance uh, systems yeah. uh, than low performance because low performance, you know, the cheaper, less expensive systems really have quite limited near field resolution. They're using lower frequency probes and the processing power in these systems is not really high enough to give a really high resolution image. And yet a lot of what a podiatrist practice is, is very superficial. Mm. Um, Apart counteract from the one, exactly. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? I do. You mentioned about superficial tissues and everyone says, oh yeah, it'd be great to look at the plant of fascia, it'd be really superficial. But actually it's a bit of a pain to visualize really well because the sole of the foot is very thick, the skin is thick, you get a lot of attenuation uh, when scanning that region on the from the planter aspect of the foot. So actually you, you need to be able to drop your frequency a little bit to get that penetration. So um, that's, you know, plant fashion is a key thing, I know, for, for, for the podiatry people. Counteracting that, counteracting that, if you just want to scan plantar fascia and yeah. only plantar fascia, then a less expensive scanner is probably quite good. Yeah, quite and adequate. Also, and, yeah, absolutely. And also, again, all of the points that we've mentioned about learning, getting access, something that you can scan with regularly around, you know, we talked earlier about handheld laptops, which, you know, where do I go with it? You know, again, all of that's very relevant again, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but but also, Doug, don't you think that, um, let's say, for podiatrists that just want to have a, um, you know, get get an idea if there is like uh, osteoarthritis at the first MTP joint, want to look at a plantar fascia and not really go into like massive detail for like nerves and sort of other kind of more complex structures, then I think uh, probably a, fair, a cheaper model is probably reasonably adequate it depends what you kind of want to use it for i guess i think yeah. so but on the other hand you know listening to what podiatrists do a lot of podiatrists do things like blocks for example uh, yeah. and there there would be a benefit in having for injections visualization yeah for injections and that yeah. sort of thing i think that you know to me there's so much potential for ultrasound in podiatry because podiatrists are also interested in Doppler. You know, they deal with a lot of diabetic work and, and I think that there's a possibility of really extending, uh, that there's value in that as they build up their skills uh, and experience, uh, there's potential there. Uh, a lot of podiatrists use pocket Doppler, um, continuous wave Doppler devices to listen for the uh, tibial artery. Well, you can see a tibial artery, you know, banging great thing. You can also start to assess it. Uh, and um, there, there's lots of potential there, I think. Uh, and, you know. Shari, Shari, I mean, in terms of, I'm, I'm there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple of things there. Doppler is, is, a, is it another interesting thing that I think we should cover tonight in terms of Doppler sensitivities on systems and understanding your Doppler. I just, want to, I just want to bring us back to the injection thing and kind of finish that one off and dot a few I's and cross a few T's on, in, on injections and ultrasound guide injections. Beam steer. What is it? Do we need it on a machine? Um, over, over to you lot. I mean, I would say that I, <laughs> when I first got, um, when I first got beam steer on a machine, it's like having like a, you know, parking sensors on your car or something. You're like, oh my God, like, I don't know how I ever did without this. And then, you know, <laughs> I've probably been doing ultrasound guided injections now for about 13 years. And I would say 
year on year, I use it less and less and less. And I rarely, rarely ever use beam steer. Now, the only time I might ever use it is if I particularly feel that I absolutely need to optimize, you know, the, for, for a very tricky injection and I really can't get the angle on it, then I might put a bit of beam steer on. But I'm talking, I might use it once every couple of days or once a week or something like that i just so so when you say tricky injection dave you're talking just to clarify a steep angle so you're you're you know you're, you're struggling to get your probe perpendicular to that needle yes yeah, so you're struggling to see it yeah. but also maybe you're just dealing with depth and maybe just yeah, the nature yeah. of that and, issue you know, is quite deep and there's you know poor you know you know it's quite a big hip or a well, big shoulder probably more like more the case you can't get the angle on it. You're 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 really sort of it's really difficult. Then you might sort of try a bit of beam steer just to see if you can get the needle a bit better. But I'd say other than that, I seldom use it. Doug, are you happy to talk us through what beam steer is? Well, beam steer is uh, effectively it's about um, uh, rather than having the probe um, fire out a, uh, a, its lines straight perpendicular to the face of the probe, it's sending them out at a slight angle. Uh, and that's possible to do if you think about a, a cardiac probe that does that. The problem is that you have, when, you, when you're sending out the ultrasound at an angle, that's not so much of a problem, but you're receiving the echoes back at an angle as well, and you lose a lot of sensitivity as a result of that. As uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's like the, um, uh, you know, light bouncing off the surface of a pond. Um, yeah. it, in in the sense that a lot of the the energy coming back to the probe surface actually just gets reflected off. It doesn't go in. Uh, it, it's much more likely to come into the probe at, uh, when it when it's straight yeah. straight yeah. ahead. Yeah. Um, so beam steer has some value. Um, a lot of comp a, a lot. Uh, you know, before you had needle enhancement. Um, programs, then uh, beam steer was a way of enhancing the needle shaft uh, because you could line that up better and you were getting some echo coming back to the probe surface. Um, in fact, that's the way that most uh, needle enhancement programs work. They integrate uh, a, a beam steering into a normal image uh, and, and use that to enhance the shaft of the needle. Yeah. I would argue that it doesn't enhance the tip of the needle and that tip is the bit that you're most interested in. Yeah, and that's where and that's where, you know, if you look at the evidence base actually around um needle visualization and learning techniques, the, the, the key the key error actually for the novice is around the tip of the needle and visualizing that and and, and actually orientating to the bevel rather than the shaft of the needle itself. Um now, the the tip of a needle scatters as ultrasound. So if the tip of the needle is in the ultrasound beam, sorry, fireworks going off somewhere here. Um, I hope it was fireworks, I'm not going to anyway. work out which, which one of us have been visited by the police. But the point is that if, 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 the, if the tip of the needle is in the ultrasound field, then it's always there is always visibility of the needle yeah. tip. It will always give an echo. It may be very difficult for you to pick it up, 
which is why you move the tip of the needle and you rotate the bevel, the, the, the bezel to, to actually help you recognize what is the echo from the needle tip. Yeah, yeah. You know, particularly for an angled, uh, an angled injection, a you know, steep angle injection, you don't need to see the shaft. What you need to do is track that needle tip. Yeah, and I think one, I think, um... I think when we think about needle visualization, I tend to I tend to agree with Dave. I think sometimes it can you can feel de- if you've got it on a system, you can sometimes feel dependent that you must have it on to see the needle. And uh, I, I just want to say I, I, I really want to emphasize the importance of the practical skill of probe and needle, um, kind of you know, joining those two things up. I'm struggling to think of the words now. Ten o'clock on a Thursday night, but joining those two things up. To actually be able to see the needle, it's that practical skill. And needle vis can help you with the things like Dave said, um, but it's 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 not a it's not a quick way to see a needle. It's not as simple as put a probe on the skin, stick a needle in. Oh, but if you put your beam steer on, the thing will light up like a laser beam. Um, you've still got to have the practical skill of getting the needle midpoint of that probe at the right angle, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and I do think that. Um... Um, you know, there's a there's a little bit like your parking sensors or whatever. Rather than driving using your proprioception okay. and your awareness, you start driving with your ears because you're just listening to the parking sensors. And I think there's a little bit of that. You start trying to angle the needle into the beam steer and try and fit it around that, rather than actually thinking about what you're doing. So um, I think it's it's got a place in that very sort of like early learning or something like that. But I, it's like you take your stabilizers off us, um, I, in my opinion. Yeah. I'm a little more cynical than you about that, Dave. I think um, the problem about beam steering, uh, about needle visualization is that they often, uh, they often entrench bad habits and you're better off learning without them because then you actually learn what's real. Yeah. That's but I think, yeah, you're, you're right. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> should, we move, should we move on to, I mean, I think we've covered, um, Stu said, uh, Stu Curtis said there, so um, would you argue it's best to learn needle visualisation without enhancement first? Um, from my, okay, let's go around the room. Um, probably yes. From me. Um, it would be a yes from me. Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, yeah, I think so. But I, I think it has a place, though. I think, uh, yeah. yeah. It's useful for those more challenging techniques. Dave, were you a yes or a no to that question? I, I think you're still on the fence there, but looks of things. Yes, for more challenging techniques. I think it has a place in the early learning, um, but do not become dependent on it. Yeah. I'm a bit more militant. Yeah, <laughs> and I guess there's someone's just said here as well. Uh, Harry Harran has just said on on Facebook as well. He said needle visualization is overrated. What's more important is target and injectate. Yes, and, and uh, yeah. So you need to be able to scan basically yeah. to do an ultrasound guided injection is what we're saying. And yeah. that's why we that's we, we always uh, that's always our mantra. Certainly, is that you've got to be able to scan something, see a structure, keep it stable, and then put your needle technique on top of that. Yeah. Um, Shall we? Should we move on to Doppler? Um, Doppler in machines. Um, we're going over time a little bit here, but Doppler Doppler on ultrasound systems. Um, my experience is it is it's hugely variable, and if you're using if you're using it in your practice for something like in a rheumatology setting for synovitis or 
you do a specific tendon clinic or uh, focused tendon evaluation and you can put vascularity in a tendon or whatever, uh, you need to understand your Doppler. Um, Doppler varies so much on, on, on systems. Um, Doug, probably best to start with you on that one, I, I would imagine. It's a minefield. I mean, yeah. Can you give us a can you give us a brief three minute synopsis? <laughs> three minute brief. Um, me? Come on. Yeah. Quick. <laughs> no, I, I I think the thing that you've you you just said Doppler, uh, and the problem is that in yeah, MSK practice, broadly, yeah. in MSK practice, you're only really interested in one particular flavor of Doppler, and that is power Doppler, because. You're not interested in, you know, uh, you're not interested in in quantitative analysis of how blood is flowing in a blood vessel. What you are interested in is um, small capillary flow patterns, small vessel flow patterns, near vascularization, and power Doppler, which is simply looking for a Doppler signal, is 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 the tool to use because it is sensitive mm. to flow in small vessels uh, and the settings that you use for that are very important no doubt that higher performing you know higher el capacity electronics in other words the more expensive machines have better power doppler and better ability to display small vessel flow patterns you just ruined my next question, That's Doug. Sorry? You just ruined my next question. That was, that was my next question was, did, you know, do you pay, you know, do you get what you pay for when it comes to Doppler? So, yes, you do, is what you're saying. You do, but you also have to be, um, to a degree, I think, to a degree more than any other aspect of the machine, you have to be reliant on the supplier making sure that the settings are right. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that, really, really important for this because if they, if you don't have the settings absolutely right for Doppler and power Doppler, things like such as the PRF, pulse repetition frequency, yeah. and things like that, the gain settings and the carrier frequency, then it can all go severely pear-shaped. It's very easy to you know by not knowing what you're doing by 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 having the settings wrong make a wrong interpretation yeah you can overcall it and undercall it Stuart, yeah. do we do we have a minute to just because i know this was a conversation that we were having um earlier just to prove that we do actually only ever talk about ultrasound um it was a program conversation we were having earlier and um we were talking about sort of, you know, the sort of like the aftercare or whatever that you get when you're buying an ultrasound machine, yeah. particularly for somebody who's just sort of starting out in ultrasound and how important that can be. Is there, is there anything that you can sort of um, want to say about that, Doug? Because I think that was some really interesting yeah. points you were making earlier. I've got a couple more questions that have come through as well, by the way, as well. We might be, we might be here till Friday morning at this rate. <laughs> Go for it, Doug. Well, I, I, I think, you know, if you think about it, the, the, the scanners come through. When, when a scanner is shipped from, a, from, from the factory, it comes with what an NS factory presets. And the factory settings are strictly average. 
and they are they're not really tailored and remember what i said about scanners being made for a multiplicity of purposes so you know actually making sure the settings are fine-tuned is, yeah. is is really important um and you know scanners will come through with in inverted commas an msk setting but it'll be a general msk setting the world um people you know practitioners get paid for putting a probe on someone uh, they get money for doing that and they're not that interested uh, in in particularly with the cheaper machines and the people who buy the cheaper machines they mm -hmm. they get paid for doing something but they don't it's not actually that important because what they always do is refer on anyway uh, so there's an awful lot of over-examination in a sense. So, uh, mm. you know, a GP will use, in, in many countries, will use an ultrasound scanner. Um, it, it'll build up and build up and build up. So every step along the way of a patient's journey, they'll be scanned. So what and, you're saying is that you, you, should, you should get that, you should get that, you know, you receive your scanner tomorrow morning. It should be on your table. But then, but then there, there's a whole nother level of support on top of the factory preset and factory settings that you should get support with to try and really get the most out of it. And we've seen this on courses. We've had a whole range of systems on the courses. Um, some have been optimized um, to the max. Uh, some haven't been optimized a huge amount or, or changed their, 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 their settings. And the difference is, is, is striking at times between, and I walk around groups teaching and you, and you see it, you see, hang on a minute, that's the same machine. Hmm. That's not been optimized and that one has been optimized. And it's not always about software updates. It's also about the, the fine tuning. And, um, you know, something you're particularly good at, Doug, is, is, is drawing out those extra extra bits of yardage around, around these scanners and things. Yeah. And, you know, the, the reality is that a lot of that comes down to, um, because practice varies around the, country, uh, around the world. Um, but it, it's, it's about drawing out and making sure that a machine sings for someone. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, you know, there's, there is a lot of variability there. Uh, and, you know, some organizations just, uh, they have, you know, take an application specialist, an application specialist who's trained in cardiac scanning, because that's what they spend most of their time doing. If you bought a machine for MSK scanning from a company that sells a lot of cardiac scanners, then are you going to get someone who can support you with the real experience and skills that you need as an MSK practitioner? Yeah, yeah. Are they going to be able to set that machine up for you? Yeah, properly? yeah. But also, Doug, like, sorry, um, just, um, you know, because uh, I, I totally get that. And I know from, from what you've done for, for, for some of the scanners that we are using for, from you, um, you know, is, 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 is amazing. It makes such a difference. But at the same time, I think a lot of people who might not have that sort of backup would would kind of also be keen to 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 almost ha have something that can work really well, sort of out of the box without doing you know like that. That has to. Mm. You know, like, it would be lovely. I you know I wish you know, and, and I, I suppose I'm going to personalise this a little bit. I've tried not to do that this evening, uh, but. That's the reason why we focus on on MSK. You know, 
the, the relationship works both ways. I bring you machines because I want to learn how good and capable they are for your what you are really skillful at, which is MSK ultrasound as a group. So I will bring you machines and ask you, you know, and work with you to see if I can get them to work well for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are machines I can't do that with. And there are machines that I can do that with. Mm-hmm. And then there's also the cost element. Yeah. I bring you machines at different prices so I can build an understanding. So we can build an understanding of, you know, if you're going to pay £10,000 or less for a machine, what is the best machine yeah. that you can get? And what's, and, what's the, and what's the difference? What does it look like? You know, what's, the, what's the difference yeah. between them as well? You know, yeah. um, I'm just going to um, just refer to a couple of questions we've had come in. So Romain said, uh, what brand model would have best power Doppler sensitivity? Oh, you've launched an absolute <laughs> corker there at 10 o'clock on a Thursday night. Um, I, I, I don't think there is necessarily, but I think, I think what you say, what we mentioned earlier about, um, you know, more expensive the machine, it tends to be the better or more reliable the Doppler is, I think. However, there is a huge amount of ability to optimise your machine around this. But you've got, to, you've got to understand your settings, otherwise you'll overcall and undercall Doppler settings. Um, anything else to add to that, guys? And it's got to be set. This is, this is like a quick fire round, basically. Um, mm. <laughs> holding a quiz. Um, Jackie said, um, don't know if I missed the discussion, but what about hockey stick probes for feet yes absolutely but one because they're a smaller footprint and sometimes you can get uh obviously small structures around the foot i'm thinking things like plants and plates maybe if you're going to inject with injecting things like mortons um a, a, a hockey stick probe is is really nice to use uh compared to a linear they're probe not, there are good and bad hockey sticks yeah exactly that's my next point but one thing i was yeah some, some hockey sticks, you, you, you go to them, you think, oh, it's going to be a hockey stick, it's going to be high frequency. It doesn't perform as well as you want it to. Um, that's certainly the case that we've seen on a number of, of courses. Mm. So you need to, again, be thoughtful about what sort of um, hockey stick you've gotten. And a hockey stick is also an expensive probe. Okay. Uh, you know, a good hockey stick will cost you a minimum of £7,000. Yeah. End of. Mm. Uh, there aren't many. A uh, hockey stick is quite a specialised probe um there aren't many manufacturers of that array uh and and there really are very few good ones yeah yeah Mm. um okay i think that's probably most of um the questions um looking through yeah i think that's most of the questions probably so far this evening so um, I guess, I guess, guys, you're sort of. I mean, is it, is it worth us doing our own sort of little um, top tips about you know purchasing machines as, as I kind of go around the table? I mean, my my thing for all of my experience and the thing I always say to people is 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 get out there and and, and try a range. I think and um, support care is, is is incredibly important. Try out machines is is important. That's why on the courses we often have a range of systems so people can actually physically try out and see what the differences are. Understand the differences much more than than just looking on a website or whatever. Um, that'd be my my top tip. I think yeah. try try them out. It sounds obvious, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, I'm not sure if I have a lot to to add to that. It, it, it's it is about like you know like ha- ha- selecting from a number and 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 there is you can't. It's it's like every everyone's like different people like different types of 
um, you know, like um, image quality and stuff. Yeah. And certain people like go for something that, you know, you might think is, is not such a great, uh, uh, um, you know, picture. So I think you have to, you have to, it's very individual. So it yeah, is almost, yeah. yeah, you can't really say, well, that is it. Just try. Well, sometimes images we haven't touched a bit ultrasound systems and manufacturers and brands have different tints to their image as well it doesn't just, always, and sometimes that just suits you better than another tint yeah. for some reason I, yeah. I don't know why that is or you know you know yeah. but that, there's something in that as well i think yeah and i think well, it's way dave sorry i was going to say uh, yeah i mean there's the, the whole of that and then there's the whole sort of um you know the knobs and buttons sort of side of things. Um, you know, I I I work in a, you know pretty quick throughput, particularly when I'm doing you know ultrasound guided injections, and I like a machine that's pretty easy that does a lot of the optimization for me. I only sort of like you know have to twiddle a few knobs and buttons between sorts of and everything else. Pretty much sets itself, and that suits me down to the ground. Whereas other people like to have lots of knobs and buttons and everything to sort of fine tune. The only thing that I would say about that, and make, this is my experience of it, is if you've got a rubbish machine, there's no point. How, it's like having a you know a tiny little stereo with a massive graphic equaliser. You're just going to spend your whole time trying to make a half decent sound out of it. Okay, if you've got a really powerful machine with lots of processing power and this, that, and the other then it's worth having all the sort of fine tuning. But I, I, I do think if you've got quite a, say cheap machine, quite a simple machine, it's sometimes worth thinking about going for one that doesn't have quite so many things to, um, to adjust on it and equally things that can go wrong, but you, you spend less time just trying to give yourself a, a, an adequate picture. Yeah, I think that's a very important point there. Um, the, again, scanners tend to be quite complicated because they are designed for a multiple for multiple tasks. Uh, and actually, if you're interested in MSK, what you want is something that just does what you want it to do. Uh, and simplicity is really important in that. Uh, and it's it's you know it's 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 there's 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 a magic to this, but it's also a connection uh, in the sense that uh, you you actually have to look at a number of machines and decide for yourself which are the which is the one that fits you best. Um, an image setup is really important in that. Um, companies use a certain style of image to keep the customers that they have and make it difficult for customers to leave that image setup. Uh, and also that they, they, they want to make it so that other, you know, other companies, uh, uh, people who are not familiar with it, there's the counterbalance to that is that uh, uh, if they make it too much so that they don't lose their customers, then other people who've not learned on that equipment may find it difficult to accept that equipment. So the, the net effect is that in any particular market, the, the, the products that are most popular are the ones today, very often the products that were most popular 20 years ago, because uh, the, it, they feel familiar. And uh, it, it just makes it very difficult once a pattern is set 
the key there that that can make companies quite lazy in my view because they don't actually have to work very hard uh, and, and the key is in this stage where i think in msk Oxana, an awful lot of people who want to learn is to look at and and check out at courses which companies support the courses very well because if they support the courses they're likely to support the customers as well interesting point mm -hmm. another another question's come in um from nav again um, how do you know if you've already got a good machine? He's got one. What sort of things, he's already got one. What sort of things um, should you look out for? I guess the, the key thing here is, is about um, thinking ahead about what you're going to use that machine for. Um, this is just my opinion and you know, the, guy, the guys might disagree with me. Um, we're going to use a machine for, but also, um, you know, thinking about, you know, actually then what sort of image quality you're going to get for those particular structures that you, that you need to be looking at for whatever you're going to do. You know, um, if you're going to be doing joint evaluations for erosions, you need a really good, you know, high, you know, reasonably high frequency system that can show you the cortical outline of joints quite, quite accurately. If you're just going to be doing uh, an evaluation of a joint to do an injection and you need to predominantly see the capsule and the joint margins without maybe the, the finer detail, um if you like then it, it might be slightly different can I, I again just bring us back to a point just quickly i know we're going to talk about this sort of thing in more depth in a in a couple of you know when we took when we do the governance session um but it's an interesting point again that i get asked and i'm sure you get asked it as well and that's where people are thinking about um actually sort of charging for imaging so they're actually going to use their ultrasound machine as a sort of diagnostics service. And what is the sort of minimum spec or what is the guidance around sort of minimum spec if you are going to actually sort of market yourself as a sonography service? Yeah, I think if you, um, I think I can, I think I can answer that one and um, don't quote me on this fact, but I think there is some, documentation out there by the RCR around um, minimum spec for MSK probes, not mm -hmm. systems, probes, uh, six to 13 uh, frequency for a linear probe for MSK is the minimum spec. I'm not sure there's a minimum spec for the system. And if you think back to what we've said already about um, the probe actually usually attaches or most of the time attaches to a, a processor, um, is it, there's a key part there that, that may be it also needs to be considered as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good point, though, isn't it? Because somebody might, you know, if, if you are sort of as a diagnostic service and let's just say, you know, an extreme, you were using like a, you know, just a handheld probe, but you were, you know, charging 250 pound a scan and marketing yourself as a diagnostic sonography service. What is there to stop you doing that? Um, and, you know, what's the governance around it yeah. but anyway i know yeah. we're thinking about this sort of thing in more depth than another night but it's just it is sort a of conversation you're going to keep you up all night isn't it dave yeah <laughs> yeah well, I think, again it comes down to competencies um and it comes down to 
Um, also, if you think about an AQP service, if you're going to offer a diagnostic service like that, then yeah. you, you've got the Care Quality Commission involved. Yeah. Um, you will have, if, if you're pursuing AQP, which can cover MSK, then uh, you've got to make sure that the images are being reviewed. Yeah. Uh, yeah absolutely. Uh, and so that a connection to radiology uh, radiology supervision, probably, yeah. as well. Yeah. And actually, that, that draws us into kind of, um, you should be a TV presenter, Dave, the way you've linked that to, to, to the next episode. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but that sort of brings on to the issues around governance and stuff that we're going to try and sort of discuss next week. And um, I might see if I can twist Doug's arm, actually, to come back and join us for things like quality assurance and, and probe health and, 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 and things like things like you know how do you know if your machine is not working as it should be you know a, a lot of people i don't think are particularly familiar with that it's as critical as it sounds so we're going to touch on some of those issues next week from a, from a governance perspective and i think that should be quite interesting infection control and, and cleaning probes all of those kinds of things as well um and on audit which we just kind of touched on there you know you should be auditing images etc cetera, etc cetera. so uh, I think what I'll do is, I mean, are we all happy to sort of draw that to a close tonight? No one's going down the pub anyway, are they? So um, I think we can probably, <laughs> I, think we can, I think we can probably sort of draw this evening, to, this evening to a close. But thank you so much, everybody. For we've had loads of people watching. We've had loads of questions coming in, which has been fantastic because it makes it so much more interactive for us. Um, big thank you to you, Doug, for for coming along with your expertise. Um, it's given it a lot more depth and a lot more breadth than certainly the three of us could have put together. I think they'll agree. Pleasure. I think so, absolutely. <laughs> Where would we have been without? Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so guys, this will all be on um, the website um, next week. There's a tab with the front on the homepage of the website for MSK Ultrasound webinars. This will be on there. It'll also be hosted on YouTube. Uh, and if you're out um, and about doing your, your daily walk, whatever at the moment, then this will be on Spotify as an audio file for you to listen to um, as well. And hopefully we'll be getting, getting onto iTunes at, at some point as well. So um, thanks very much. Um, we've really enjoyed you yet. So there's a few yeah, guys. Um, can I just make one thing and just say, look, if anybody wants to contact me privately, yeah. directly or anything like that, then uh, you can do that through uh, my email address, which is douglasog at orcamedical.co.uk. Perfect. I, mean, so it, I know that you can often pass you you often pass these details on yeah. anyway to people who are in. So um, if, you, if you've got a particular question and you can't get hold of Doug, um, then email uh, info at the ultrasound site, send the thing into the website, and I will forward it on to to Doug. No problem whatsoever. Uh, we've got a few things coming in, which is great to see. Jackie, you're in Melbourne. Wow, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. Early hours, she says. <laughs> um, but brilliant. Thanks so much, guys. We'll be back um, at nine o'clock next week. Um, keep your eyes peeled for news about that um, during the week. And uh, we look forward to seeing you all then. Cheers. Thank you very much. See you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.